Well, Christian family, I hope that you've enjoyed the emphasis we've already had in song and in missions about the spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can take your Bibles and find your way to John chapter 18 this morning. The service is going to be a bit different from our ordinary um, efforts with uh, the Lord's Supper. Normally we have the Lord's Supper as a separate service after our Coffee Connect. Uh, This morning we're going to move from here from the sermon and then directly into the Lord's Supper together. Today, this is the first Sunday in December, and we're beginning a short sermon series giving focused attention to Advent. Advent is the term that's used to describe the season of anticipation during the weeks in December that lead up to then Christmas Day. For many of us, for children in particular, there's a lot of excitement around Christmas, right? Because there's this anticipation of receiving gifts. Of course, this is really exciting for the little people in our church family here. Maybe even yourself, maybe you're looking forward to something uh, this Christmas season as well. Of course, as Christians, though, we understand that the kind of the buzz around giving gifts, receiving gifts, is really but a shadow pointing towards the best gift that humanity has ever received, and that is the gift of God through Jesus Christ to be the atonement for our sin. John 18 shows us um, the connection between Advent, kind of the celebration of the coming of Christ, and the cross work of Christ in a one verse. So our aim this morning is going to be to get to John chapter 18, verse 37, where there's this interaction between Pilate and Jesus that centers around Jesus' kingdom and his kingship. We're going to get there in just a bit to help us better understand what's going on in John 18:37. I'm going to just quickly give us an overview of some of the events that happened in John 18 that lead us to this point. You can just kind of glance at your scriptures as we kind of peruse quickly through John 18. John 18, you have the betrayal and arrest of Jesus that takes place. This is an unusual arrest. What you have here is an armed group coming to arrest a teacher. And Jesus has been a teacher, and you see some of the power of his divinity kind of come out when uh, Jesus answers a question. When they're, they're coming to arrest him, he answers a question, and just by his words, this armed group of soldiers falls back. They eventually arrest him. Peter attempts to intervene in that effort. He takes out a sword, ends up cutting off the ear of one of the high priest's uh, um, staff. They arrest Jesus. They, they put him into custody, and they take him to be questioned by the high priest. So the high priest begins to question him. There in verses 12 and, and following, they question Jesus about his teaching. While this is happening, Peter is being questioned about his affiliations to Jesus. Peter denies that he has any affiliation with Jesus, and we know, of course, that he will do this another two times, making a total of three, which fulfills the prophecy that Christ told Peter would happen. When the high priests have finished their line of questioning, they take Jesus to the governor's headquarters. This begins in verse 28. Pilate goes out and asks, what is the charge that they are bringing against Jesus? And what they tell Pilate is this, We don't have any specific charge, but we wouldn't have brought him here if he wasn't guilty of something worthy of death. So Pilate begins to question Jesus in verse 33. He asks Jesus, are you king of the Jews? You see, Pilate wants to know if he has a political insurrection on his hands. If there's this, if the Jewish people in the Jewish lands that he is overseeing for Rome, if there's a problem here that he needs to be aware of that might threaten Roman rule in that area. And the questions then about Jesus' kingship and his kingdom start to take center stage. 
And that leads us to verse 37, which then reads, Pilate is asking um, Jesus, and Pilate says to Jesus in verse 8, in verse 37, So you are a king? And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. Basically, another way of saying this is, it's like him saying, Those are your words, not mine. But then Jesus continues. He says, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. This passage is unique because it gives us truth about Advent while simultaneously giving us truth about Jesus' cross work as he prepares to, uh, to undertake his great saving acts for us. Advent is the idea of celebrating Jesus as king. That's nothing new really in Christian circles. There's going to be Christmas programs done around the city that are probably going to have this idea of celebrating Christ as king. And that is good. It's scriptural. But I wonder if some of the significance of what it means for Jesus to be king is lost in some of the excitement of just the nostalgia of Christmas. And so this morning, what I want for us to do is just look at two simple ideas to help us prepare for communion then. And it's going to be looking at Jesus as king and then his kingdom. Those two simple ideas. Jesus as king. Now notice in verse 37, though, there's this other idea that is central to Jesus king and to his kingship and to his kingdom. And it's the idea of truth. Notice in verse 37, it's, he's telling us that he is come, and he has come um, for the purpose to witness to the truth. The truth. Now, I don't know if those kind of words make you squirm a bit, make some, our modern sensibilities squirm a little bit. Because have you ever felt mental exhaustion? You're reading news reports or headlines, or even scientific reports. And have you ever wondered, what is true? Can I really trust this? Is this truth or not? In fact, look at Pilate's response to Jesus when Jesus says this. Pilate says to Jesus, what is truth? And boy, I just find it interesting that Pilate here sounds like the quintessential modern person, doesn't he? I mean, here we are, separated from Pilate by over 2,000 years, and Pilate sounds just like our modern-day person today, right? What is truth? Can we even claim that there's truth? We use, we use phrases like this when I say we. Our modern society will use phrases like, speak your truth, as if truth is kind of bespoke, right? right? Like a tailor might make you a bespoke suit or a bespoke pair of shoes that is ca- tailored and customized to you and you alone, you as the individual. And yet Jesus comes in and defies those notions that truth is not bespoke. It is not customized to the individual. There is something that is the truth. And he has come to bear witness to it. So then what is the truth that he has come to bear witness to? I believe that is understood as we see the questions unfold between Pilate and Jesus. There is something that is the truth, and it is the truth of Jesus' kingship and his kingdom. And that is what we can celebrate in Advent and also the culmination of that in communion. So this morning, Jesus is, let's look at his kingdom and then his kingship, and this will be brief. Jesus' kingdom is out of this world. It's not of this world, all right? Look in John chapter 18, verse 36. Jesus is answering uh, Pilate in his questions, and he tells Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. He repeats this idea, this phrase, this truth. His kingdom is not of this world. This is something that would have troubled Pilate a bit. Pilate is 
used to conventional kingdoms, right? He, his, he understands what it is for Roman rule. He understands what it is for Rome to come in and occupy through the strength of military might and power and ruthless eradication of anything that would stand in its way. And Jesus is saying his kingdom is not of this world. And the proof of that is that his, his kingdom citizens are not rising up with arms to deliver him from being arrested. Jesus has come to inaugurate a kingdom like none other. He's inaugurating it with his sacrificial death. Now, Jesus' kingdom is out of this world. It really makes us think about some other passages in Scripture. One of those is Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians 1, we are told in verses 16 and 17, we're told that it is by Jesus that all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, I'm reading Colossians 1 to help us get a little bit of a perspective on what it means for Jesus to be, to have a kingdom that is not of this world. When we think of that, maybe it's just kind of blank, like, what do you mean? Because we think of kingdoms that are all earthly. What does it mean then for his kingdom to be not of this world? Well, there's a lot that could be unpacked in that idea, but here's just one thing to, I hope, will make our hearts just filled with wonder and amazement about the kingdom that Jesus has. Over Thanksgiving holidays, the Walker family was in Granby, and we were outside a couple of nights looking up at the stars. It was kind of dark out there in Granby, and we could see the swath of the Milky Way, you know, the, the kind of smear of stars. We could see the faint line of that. And so we were marveling at this and stargazing, and then I started to share some basic facts about this Milky Way, the swath. Now, I'm tying you say, well, why are we talking about the Milky Way and stars when we're talking about Christmas? The Christmas star, and that's where you're going, right? Not, not actually. What I'm actually trying to tie in is what Colossians 1 tells us about Jesus and his kingdom. What Jesus says about himself, about his kingdom, that it's out of this world, and what's tied in Colossians 1 about this kingdom being about heaven on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, authorities, powers, these things. So think of this, okay? Our sun, right? It's the nearest star to us. It's what our solar system uh, rotates around. The nearest star to us, our sun, our sun is 93 million miles away. Our solar system is just one of trillions of solar systems that comprise the Milky Way galaxy. So as you look at the night sky, every star you see is a solar system of its own with planets orbiting, orbiting it. When we look at the night sky, what we can see of the Milky Way is just a small portion of the Milky Way. Our Milky Way is just one of what is assumed is trillions of galaxies. Okay? Andromeda is considered to be the closest large galaxy to us. It is 2.5 million light years away. Now, those are simple words to say. What does this mean? The speed of light is 186,000 miles a second, or over 671 million miles per hour. So if you traveled at the speed of light, 671 million miles per hour for two and a half million years, you would finally arrive in the galaxy of Andromeda. And this is the nearest, largest galaxy, one of trillions of galaxies filled with trillions of stars that are trillions of solar systems. And we're looking at just one small little portion of the Milky Way. So here's some perspective. A traveler, according to NASA, a traveler moving at the speed of light would circumnavigate the equator approximately seven and a half times in one second. If you are in a jet airliner, you can travel across the continental U.S. in four hours. Speed of light, seven and a half times around the world in one second. Jesus' kingdom is out of this world. 
Jesus rules and reigns, not just earth that's closest to a star that's 93 million miles away. Jesus rules over all. His kingdom is out of this world. And I hope our hearts are filled with just a fresh sense of wonder and amazement that this God-man Jesus, this king of this, this kingdom out of this world came as a baby to redeem us from sin. But Pilate understands this idea of kingdoms, but he really can't understand this concept of kingdom out of this world. But friends, here's just a simple application. The perspective that Jesus has is so wonderful. He had a clear sense of identity and belonging in his interaction with Pilate that his kingdom was not of this world. He was not threatened by the kingdoms of this world. Now, as Christians, we should share in some of that perspective. Now, none of us are Jesus. But we can share in that perspective as we are children of God. As we can call Jesus our older brother, in that sense, the scriptures say. There is so much wrong in our world today. There is so much evil. There are so many things that are, that are awful in our world today. But friends, take heart, because God's gift to us in Christmas is because of Jesus, we can be citizens of a kingdom that is out of this world. A kingdom that is led by a good and perfect king. A king who gave his life and rose again so that we might enjoy him forever in a kingdom that is not of this world. But he's also a king. And this will just take a couple of minutes as we wrap up. A kingdom is wonderful, but not if it doesn't have a good king. The good news is that the kingdom that Jesus rules over out of this world is ruled over by him, himself. And as you start reading through the scriptures, we start to understand that there is no other king like Jesus. He is unique. In John 18, 37, look at it again. When he's telling Pilate that he is the one who has come to bear witness to the truth. Again, this isn't the first time that Jesus has tied himself to the idea of truth. In John chapter 1, verse 14, we're told that the Word became flesh. This is talking about Advent, the coming of Jesus into this world. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, but notice here how the descriptions are, full of grace and truth. And truth. And Jesus spoke about the importance of worshiping God in truth in John chapter 4. He talks about how there is something called true worshipers. And then he talks about the need for worshipers to worship in truth. In, 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 they must worship God in spirit and in truth. In John 14, Jesus goes so far as to claim that he is the truth. And Jesus prayed for his followers in John 17 that they would be matured spiritually, in truth. So what does all this mean? What are we supposed to do with these statements that Jesus makes about himself as the one who has a kingdom and a king, and he is, all of this is one of truth? Well, here's a takeaway for us. Friends, we don't get to decide the truth. God has given us truth. And by the way, Christians are not just arrogant people, all right? I was recently asked, you know, but it just seems kind of arrogant to say that Jesus is the only way to know God and the only way to have forgiveness. It just seems so arrogant to say that's the truth. But you realize that our world is promoting what they call truth to say that there isn't a way, a truth, or the life in Jesus? It's just an alternate form of what they would say is truth. To say that there's many truths is a truth in and of itself. Christians, what we have been given in the gospel 
is the truth of how we can know that we have right relationship with God, how we can enjoy God forever, how we can understand how we fit into the world and what our purpose in this life is and then what is to come in in the life to come. Friends, this is good news. This is gospel. Christmas is really a celebration of the truth of the gospel, of Jesus coming to earth to live a perfect life, die a sacrificial death, rise again from the grave so that all who embrace him in faith will be forgiven their sin and enjoy him forever. That's the truth that Jesus has come to bear witness to. That's the truth of his kingdom. That's the truth of his kingship. So here's the question. This is only good news if you admit that you need a savior. It's only good news if you see the kingdom that he brings and say, yes, I want to be a citizen of that kingdom. So really, just simply, I'd like to ask us this. Christmas is full of, you know, cozy firesides, hot chocolate, twinkling lights, family traditions. All of that is wonderful to embrace. But friends, all of that is empty if it's not built on the truth of who Jesus is as a king and what his kingdom is like. So I want to just ask us, whether you're a guest or a regular attender, is Jesus your king? Do you know the truth of Christ as king? Do you understand the truth of Christ as a savior? The one who gave his life so you could be forgiven your sins, who took your punishment. This is why he came, to bear witness to this truth. It's the truth we've sung about. It's the truth that was spoken about in our Christmas reading. And it's the truth that we'll proclaim together in the Lord's Supper. Advent is about the truth. And as Christians, we get to celebrate not just traditions and lights, we get to celebrate the truth of God coming to earth to deliver sinners like us. There's no other truth like it.